Psalm 3, and, and I'm going to also see if we can't tie in Psalm 4. The title this morning is, The Lord Will Hear When I Call to Him. And uh, it's ungodly enemies versus salvation and blessing of God's people. Psalm 3 and 4 basically are kind of little sisters uh, with regards to the Psalms. And um, many refer to them as the morning and evening prayers. David wrote this when he fled from Absalom, his son. Uh, we'll see that right up front when we start reading. Um, many believe Psalm 4 was also written during this stretch of David's life, um, one being Warren Wiersbe, one of the guys that uh, we use often for uh, quoting. And, but due to the similarities, uh, there's many foes and distresses, crying to and hearing from the Lord, and being able to sleep in peace. A couple psalms that deal with getting a good night's sleep. Uh, but I also think because Psalm 4, verse 2, he speaks of his glory being put to shame. And um, like when Absalom took David's house and, you know, did shameful things and acted shamefully. And, and so it ties in with that. So Psalm 3 and Psalm 4, hopefully this morning we can get into. And again, uh, Psalm 3 is a morning prayer song and Psalm 4 is an evening prayer song. Let's go ahead and read through Psalm 3 again and... See if we can add something to it. Uh, Lord, how they have increased. Right, let me back up. A Psalm of David when he fled from Absalom, his son. Lord, how they have increased who trouble me. Many are they who rise up against me. Many are they who say of me, there is no help for him in God, Selah. But you, O Lord, are a shield for me, my glory and the one who lifts up my head. I cried to the Lord with my voice, And he heard me from his holy hill, Selah. And I lay down and slept. I awoke, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God. For you have struck all my enemies on the cheekbone, and you have broken the teeth of the ungodly. And salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing is upon your people, Selah. Psalm 3, since we have already given context here a little bit, right in the first part, it says a psalm of David when he fled from Absalom, his son. You can follow along if you want. I'm going to skim along through um, um, 2 Samuel, chapters 13 through 19 will be in those. And I'm just going to kind of skim through and we'll, we'll drop in from time to time and read some of it. But leading up to this point in David's life, um, uh, he'd been going out to fight with Israel against the enemies of Israel, and uh, but he began to stay back. And as such, he you know was staying back, thought he would enjoy all there is to see in Jerusalem, and he ended up seeing all that there was to see, and then some, as we know. And he fell with Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah. She became pregnant. David ultimately uh, has him conspires to have Uriah killed, just to cover it up, and. Um, so uh, all this was known around David's household, obviously, and then also Jerusalem and all of Israel, because Nathan the prophet came forth and uh, had to confront David in all this. And though he did confess and he repented of his sin, the child still became sick and died. And David also then took uh, Bathsheba for his wife, along with other wives and concubines that he had. And with all of that, he had sons and daughters. And leading up to chapter 13, David had this son named uh, Am, or Absalom, who had a sister named Tamar. 
And he also had another son named Amnon. And Amnon, you know, fell in love with this sister, uh, half-sister, Tamar. And to the point where he became sick over it, um, couldn't even eat, and everybody could see it on him. He's got this uh, cousin named Jonadab, enter Jonadab, who basically said to Amnon, just, you know, you're making yourself sick. Uh, it's pathetic. You know, just go take her. And uh, here's Jonadab giving counsel to his uh, cousin Amnon. So Jonadab's plan involved getting David to help set it all up. Uh, David unawares of this. Um, but so that Tamar would be in a position uh, in Amnon's chambers uh, that he could take advantage of her. And real quick application there is if you have any Jonadabs in your life, you know, unfriend them. You know, stop hanging around them, right? Uh, don't listen to them. Psalm 1, you know, uh, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. I mean, this is a horrible thing. This is, you know, unspeakable thing that he would take his sister, his half-sister. And, um, well, once they're alone, Amnon forced himself and overpowered her. Uh, unspeakable thing. And, you know, uh, all I can say is if uh, God have mercy on the kind of guy that does that. Um, the, you know, it says he overpowered her. He was stronger than her. And um, it's, uh, it's unmentionable what he did. And Amnon's lust now satisfied. This cold, so-called love turned to bitter hatred, exceeded the love that made him sick in the first place. So he throws her out in utter humiliation and she returns home and Absalom sees her and he gets the whole story. Well, two years go by and uh, while Absalom is waiting for his opportunity to um, get his revenge and uh, kill Amnon. So let's pick it up, if you will, in 2 Samuel 13, 28 through 39. It says, Now Absalom had commanded his servants, saying, Watch now, when Absalom or, uh, Amnon's heart is merry with wine. And when I say to you, Strike Amnon, then kill him. Do not be afraid. Have I not commanded you? Be courageous and valiant. So the servants of Absalom did to Amnon as Absalom had commanded. Then all the king's sons arose. Each one got on his mule and fled. And it came to pass... While they were on the way, that news came to David, saying, Absalom was killed, all the king's sons, and not a one of them is left. So the king arose and tore his garments and lay on the ground, and all his servants stood by with their clothes torn. And then Jonadab, now here's Jonadab again. He's hanging around, you know, just the kind of guy that's hanging there just waiting to see the carnage that he brought on by his counsel. And there's those types of guys. They like stirring it up and watching it play out. And Jonadab, the son of Shimei, David's brother, answered and said, Let not my lord suppose they have killed all the young men, the king's sons, for only Amnon is dead. For by the command of Absalom, this has been determined from the day that he forced his sister Tamar. Now therefore, let not my lord, the king, take this thing to heart, to think that all the sons are dead, for only Amnon is dead. A guy like Jonadab, always wanting to bring the good news, you know. Hey, don't worry, king. It's one of those things where... Uh, the guys that like to put themselves in a position of being listened to, being counted on for, for counsel. And it was nothing but bad counsel. Um, then Absalom fled 
And the young man who was keeping watch lifted his eyes and looked, and there was many people who were coming from the road on the hillside behind him. Jonadab said to the king, Look, king, the kings are coming, or the king's sons are coming. As your servant said, so it is. And so it was, as soon as he had finished speaking, that the king's sons indeed came, and they lifted up their voice and wept. Also the king, with all his servants, wept very bitterly. But Absalom fled and went to Talmai, the son of Amahud, king of Geshur. And David mourned for his son every day. And so Absalom fled, went to Geshur, and was there three years. And King David longed to go to Absalom, for he had been comforted concerning Amnon because he was dead. And so we see the story. But even after this, all of this, David's heart is still towards Absalom. He longed to see him. He missed him. Chapter 14, um, he goes on to say, uh, Now Joab, David's general, seeing how David misses his son, sets up a plan to get Absalom back to Jerusalem. And it works. David forgives Absalom, but he does, doesn't want to see him. He's back in Jerusalem, but still being shunned. Um, so to basically fix this, uh, Absalom harasses Joab and starts his field on fire next door. And, and so he gets Joab to uh, bring him to King David. And he brings him along and finally gets an audience with the king. And, and David kisses him and loves him but he still sends him out and he's now been forgiven he's now in good standing around Jerusalem chapter 15 Absalom is back in good standing around Jerusalem and immediately goes to work gathering people to himself taking a position of authority glad glad handing everybody you know what that means he's just out there hey how's it going he greets everybody and stretches out his hand come on over and gives him a kiss customary you know in that day and it says, basically, he stole the hearts of the men of Israel. It's not something the Lord gave him. It's not something he was anointed for by the Lord. He just went after it and took it. So basically, he asked King David to let him go to Hebron to keep a vow he made to serve the Lord. He's using an excuse that he had made a vow to the Lord, and he goes out to Hebron. Well, when he gets there, he sends spies to all the tribes of Israel, uh, everyone uh, around Israel, all the tribes, and has them simultaneously declare Absalom reigns in Hebron. And so the coup is started. Now he, he, he sent for Ahithophel. Now this is Bathsheba's grandfather, if you didn't know that. And it's, uh, this is the conspiracy. It says, grew strong for the people with Absalom continually increased in number. Everyone knew this was an attempt to usurp the throne and um, Absalom was mounting an attack on Jerusalem. And so David flees to avoid all-out war and bloodshed in the city, going up on the Mount of Olives, barefoot, weeping along with those who went with him. And so chapter 16, David and all that were with him went over the mountain towards the Jordan River. They came to Bahurim, where this guy named Shimei came out to meet David. And if we can go to 2 Samuel 16, um, verses 5 through 14, we come across this, uh, this fellow named Shimei. Now when King David came to Bahurim, there was a man from the family of the house of Saul whose name was Shimei, the son of Gera. Coming from there, he came out cursing continuously as he came. And he threw stones at David and all the servants of the king and all the people, all the mighty men were at his right hand and at his left. 
And if you picture that, you, whenever you're a dignitary like David, you're going to have all your guys around you, all those mighty guys on the left and on the right. David's embedded in the middle and um, has these guys all around. And so Shimei says, you know, thus when he cursed, come out, come out, you bloodthirsty man, you rogue. The Lord has brought upon you all the blood of the house of Saul, in whose place you have reigned, and the Lord has delivered the kingdom into the hand of Absalom, your son. So now you are caught in your own evil, because you are a bloodthirsty man. And then Abishai, the son of Zariah, said to the king, Why should this dead dog curse my lord, the king? Please let me go over and take off his head. But the king said, What have I to do with you, sons of Zariah? So let him curse. Because the Lord has said to him, Curse David. Who then shall say, Why have you done so? And David said to Abishai and all his servants, See how my son who came from my own body seeks my life. How much more now may this Benjamite let him alone, let him curse, for so the Lord has ordered him. Then may be that the Lord will look upon my affliction and that the Lord will repay me with good for his cursing this day. And as David and his men went along the road, Shimei went along the hillside opposite, cursing as he went, threw stones at him and kicked up dust. And you can imagine, you know, he's along the side of the road, upwind and so he's kicking up dust and making as much of a mess and that's all floating down on these guys and it's certainly getting in their face and now the king and all the people who were with them became weary so they refreshed themselves there more on Shimei later but Absalom now moved into David's house at the advice of Hithophel and he took David's concubines for all to see to shame David openly show everyone how David would abhor Absalom for this thus getting all the men to strengthen behind him against David. So what Ahithophel, whose counsel for uh, Absalom here was, we'll get all the, the guys on my side to be as furious as they can, watching how David and his guys are starting to get cranked up because here he is openly shaming everything, the throne, taking his glory, um, and uh, going in with his, his concubines. So, And on top of that, starting in... Chapter 17, Ahithophel wants to make his move now. He wants to take 12,000 men, kill David that very night. And this is where we see what David is talking about in Psalm 3. This brings us up in the story to our psalm this morning. So I'm going to read through it, and then we'll come back. It says, A psalm of David when he fled from Absalom his son. Lord, how they have increased who trouble me. Many are they who rise up against me. Many are they who say of me, there is no help for him in God. Selah. But you, O Lord, are a shield for me, my glory and the one who lifts up my head. I cried to the Lord with my voice, and he heard me from his holy hill. Selah. I lay down and slept. I woke, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you have struck all my enemies on the cheekbone. You have broken the teeth of the ungodly. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing is upon your people. Selah. And we see the word Selah a few times through here. That's, it's a musical term, uh, pause, but it also means pause. It's a, there's a reason for it in, in what he's saying and singing that you would uh, you know, do a little interlude, but also think about what that that phrase was, was meaning, take it to heart. 
chew on it a little bit. And so verse 1, already we saw how Absalom had gathered to himself many from all the tribes of Israel. Um, Ahithophel had called for thousands of the men to pursue David. And we read how it pleased all the elders of Israel back in Second uh, Samuel. And so it appears that David really was in the minority. He was few. He had his men as mighty men. But Absalom had the majority of Israel. They had gone out. He, he'd won the hearts of the men. They'd gone out into every tribe. And uh, he had drawn them to himself. And so it was, in fact, a, a minority. In verse 2, it says, Many are they who say of me, there is no help for him in God. And remember what Shimei said going up the hill? You know, the Lord brought this on you, you rogue. You know, so there are many who are saying, how are you going to pray? How are you going to call on God? You're the one that did this, and so the Lord's bringing it back on you. There's no doubt that there are times when we bring on ourselves um, things that, you know, we reap what we sow. But David wasn't guilty in anything with regards to Saul, you know. The Lord raised up David and anointed him. Saul was disobedient and didn't obey the Lord, and uh, he brought it on himself, you know, his demise. But Shimei taking the opportunity just piles it on David while he's, while he's leaving. But what's he saying? He's saying, that God is bringing this on David. There's no help for you in God, he's saying to him. Uh, you can't pray. God's not going to hear you. This is the kind of thing that this, he's trying to do to discourage. They said the same thing of Jesus, right? When he was on the cross, you know, he trusted in God. Let God get him down, you know, and let God help him now. How often do we hear it, and even sometimes in our own hearts betray us, and we doubt if God will hear us, wonder if our prayers are bouncing off the ceiling. It can be discouraging. We can just bring, it, it's doubt and Many times things people say, uh, it, it brings doubt on us. Verse 3 is important for that. It says, But you, O Lord, are a shield for me, my glory and the one who lifts up my head. David, still speaking to the Lord, declares who he trusts in to protect him. God is his shield. It's God who's his glory, notice it says. My glory, Lord's his glory. And, um, and the one who's going to lift up his head. He's not going to pull himself up by his bootstraps. You know, he's going to uh, trust the Lord and glory in what the Lord's going to do. He had all of his mighty men on either side, but he's trusting in the Lord and not in his own strength. Next three verses, David directs to his listeners. Um, verses uh, 4, 5, and 6. says, I cried to the Lord with my voice, and he heard me from his holy hill, Selah. I laid down and slept. I awoke, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. It says, with my own voice, uh, I cried out to the Lord. You know, I still pray within my own heart, oftentimes. And I uh, seldom would pray out loud early on, you know, thinking that it was insincere, or that it was, uh, distra- it was just distracting to hear my own voice when I'm alone with the Lord to pray out loud. But in truth, it's a heart thing. And we turn our hearts to him. And and it shouldn't be some repetitious chant when we pray out loud. But we know he hears us, whether we're praying in our hearts or we're praying out loud. There's nothing more spiritual about uh, praying out loud. But it helps to hear ourselves 
just like when we're in a conversation with anybody, to, to know that uh, we're in a one-on-one relationship with the Lord and to speak to him with sincerity from our heart, with our voice. Psalm 51.15 says, O Lord, open thou my lips, and my mouth shall show forth thy praise. Psalm 63.3 says, Because thy loving kindness is better than love, life, my lips, shall praise thee. In Hebrews 13, Therefore, by him, let us continually offer the sacrifices of praise to God, that is, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. It's not more righteous to pray out loud or not to pray out loud, but it appears when David would cry out you know, with his voice, it was for a reason. And he knows that he's in the presence of God. It's got nothing to do with trying to have him hear all the way from Mount Zion, right, where, where he was hearing him. But God will hear, and he'll hear from heaven. And that's true for us as well, crying out to God. Verse 5, he's recounting the night before and how he got a good night's sleep and because he acknowledged God and that he knows in the morning he's sustaining him. You know, he made it through the night. Back then, warfare was a little different. A lot of things happened at night. You got torches. You don't have radar and, and uh, lasers and things like that and satellites. You could sneak around in the hills if you knew him well, and you can, you can get in there and take care of it. That's what Ahithophel wanted to do. He said to Absalom, hey, give me 12,000 guys right now. I'll go get them right in the middle of the night, sneak up on them. And so to make it through the night is something you'd be grateful for. Lie down and sleep, no fear, in peace, and wake up because he acknowledged God sustains him. In verse 6, the next day he's not afraid. When you cry to the Lord, the fear dissipates. You pray, and fear will dissipate. You begin to get perspective. Most importantly, God responded to David. You know, somehow that you know he knew that God had heard him. He he had faith, but he also knew by how God had had uh, sustained him and watched out for him that he had heard his prayer. We often pray in faith, believing that God hears us. But Jesus taught a parable in Luke 18, if you want to turn there. Luke 18, verses 1 through 8. It says, Then he spoke a parable to them, that men always ought to pray and not lose heart, saying, There was a certain city, there was in a certain city, a judge who did not fear God nor regard man. And now there was a widow in that city, and she came to him, saying, Get justice for me from my adversary. But he would not for a while. Afterward, he said within himself, Though I do not fear God, nor regard man, yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. And then the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge said, and shall God not avenge his own elect who cry out by day and night to him, though he bears long with them. And I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? So it was for persistence' sake that the judge heard the widow. And so the lesson, sometimes we need to pursue God until we hear from him. You know, not that we start, you know, it makes me think of the prophets of Baal. Uh, their God was not hearing them because their God didn't exist. And so they're running around, you know, chanting and cutting themselves and knocking everything down, including Elijah's altar. And, um, you know, but that wasn't the true God and all. But here he says, 
you know, wait, wait on the Lord and continue to pursue the Lord in prayer until you hear from him. And often he'll bring a scripture to mind. Um, I remember one time I was driving along to a job out of town and uh, a few years back and struggling with a monetary issue and I'm praying and I'm groaning and, you know, all of a sudden thump. And it's right in front of my face, this yellow burst. And I'd run into a goldfinch. And I was in the throes of, you know, really stressing about this issue and praying and seeking the Lord. And I'm thinking, you know, this happened right in front of me. Why would God allow, God allow this little guy, you know, to get hit, you know, fly right into me like that? And just like that, I remembered, true story, just like that, I remembered um, the parable. You know, he's not going to let a sparrow fall without knowing it. How much more is he going to take care of us and provide for us? And I don't, not that we should expect God to plaster our windows with, uh, you know, signs that uh, he's taking care of us or illustrations like that. I would hope not, but it, it's interesting that he tells this of how he provides for us the sparrows so that we don't fear what men can do to us. In context of that passage, um, how much more he'll take care of us. Don't fear men, but fear God who has the ability to not only kill and harm the body, but to, to cast into hell. And context being that, you know, don't fear how much more will he take care of us. But you can't tell me that that goldfish, uh, finch, uh, was a coincidence. I was struggling. I was really struggling with that. And I knew I had heard from God at that point, just like David saying he knew that he heard. I knew that I heard from the Lord. It just hit me right then and there, that passage. I guess poor, poor uh, bird. Could have been a deer, I suppose, but that would have then just made the money problems a lot worse, I think, you know, right? Anyway, verse 7, back to Psalm 3. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you have struck all my enemies on the cheekbone, and you have broken the teeth of the ungodly. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing is upon your people, Selah. David knows how God defeated the ungodly. He had been to war many times, Philistines, and, and throughout uh, the land of Israel, and it was still in some areas uh, Canaanites dwelling. And so as, as uh, he went up to make war, as God had commanded, there were, uh, you know, many times he took care of his enemies, every time, really. So he had no problem knowing how he was going to deal with the enemies of Israel. It's interesting now that, you know, David's a believer, right? He believed in God, the God of Israel. Saul prophesied. He was one of the named among one of the prophets. And here's his son Shimei, or grandson Shimei, out there, uh, you know, bringing all this uh, uh, accusation on him. You know, he knew the God of Israel. You can call him a believer if you want, uh, Shimei. Um, Absalom, when he was about to go uh, up and start this coup, says, "Hey, I've got to go. I made a vow to the Lord. I've got to go serve." He knew God of his, who the God of Israel will was, and he was a believer if you will. Obviously, David is asking the Lord now, Lord, you've defeated my enemies in the past. You've broken their teeth. You've, you've silenced them. You know, now it's my own household, the household of Israel. It's my own son. You know, how good to trust in the Lord for our salvation and blessing. It's a, it's a much tougher thing when you think about it. And, you know, so he says, 
you struck all my enemies on the cheekbone, broken the teeth of the ungodly. And it's kind of hard to throw accusations when your jaws are wired shut. And so he's asking for that. Um, Psalm 4, we're still in the context of David's flight from Absalom. But now this is an evening prayer song. Uh, Verse 1, Hear me when I call, O God of my righteousness. O God of my righteousness. You have relieved me in my distress. Have mercy on me and hear my prayer. Now we know God's mercies are new every morning. We love to quote that and I love that it's true. I get up in the morning and I know that I need his mercy and his grace. Um, David's asking for mercy at the end of the day now. God's re, you know, relived, uh, relieved him of his distresses. Uh, but notice how David approaches God. The God of my righteousness. He's the righteousness. The Lord is. Um, this whole problem with Amnon and, and Tamar and Absalom having to flee Jerusalem uh, you know, because of his sin with Bathsheba. You know, he brought this on himself. Everybody knew it. He thought himself unable to you know, discipline his kids because, gee, Dad, you blew it. How can you say anything to me? And he really wasn't disciplining his kids, and they were able to run and do this stuff on their own. Everybody knew he wasn't perfect, and who would listen to him? But know this, you know, God is the one who each one of us is going to stand before. And as parents, we don't instruct our kids to, hey, um, you got to do this. Um, I blew it, but you got to do it because I said so. Well, no. Our, our kids should, should obey because it's what the Lord says. We're not perfect. It's, it's uh, you know, to teach kids that, uh, you know, they should be just like we are. We are an example, and they should learn from us as examples. But the truth of it is, when, the, when it comes down to, why should I do this? Why should I obey? It's because the Lord said so, not because I'm perfect and all. And, and that's such an uh, important thing for us so that we don't become, you know, impotent in raising and ruling in our own households, you know, with our kids. But where does David see his righteousness? In the God of his righteousness. Where do you see your righteousness? And for that, we need to go to Romans 1. And we'll do a little run through. Romans chapter 1, 16 through 32. It says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, They did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals, creepy things. And therefore, 
God gave them up to uncleanness. The first five words of that verse are horrifying. That God would give them up. And that, that he does not give us up is a glorious thing because if he gave us up to our own devices, um, we'd be lost. But therefore, because of this, they, you know, not, not that he caused all this, he gave them up to it because that's the direction they wanted to go. He gave them up to uncleanness in the lusts of their heart, to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for a lie, worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. You know, it makes me think of Jeremiah when he's prophesying against Israel. They would make a god out of a, out of a piece of wood. He says, you got this tree, you cut down this tree, you use some of it to build your house, you use some, you use some of it to build the fire to heat the, to heat the food, and then you take what's left over, you carve out a little God, and that's something that is to be worshipped. I mean, it's the, the foolishness that we would take anything, whether you beat it out of silver and gold or whether you carve it out of wood, turning it into an idol that you would sit and worship. So you're making an image, uh, either like corruptible man or birds or four-footed animals. But then for this reason, 26, God gave them to vile passions. For even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in lust for one another, men with men, committing that which is shameful, receiving in themselves the penalty of their error, which was due. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over, again, to a debased mind, to do those things which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death. They knew this. And not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. So they're on the sidelines cheering as well. Notice how it progresses worse to worse, and God gives them over. But notice chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore you are inexcusable, O man, whoever you are, who judge. For in whatever you judge another, you condemn yourselves. For you who judge practice the same things. We do the same things. Skip a page to Romans 3, 9 through 28. What then? Are we better than they? Not at all. For we have previously charged both Jews and Greeks that they are all under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good, no, not one. Their throat is an open tomb. With their tongues they have practiced deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips. Whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. The way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. And now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped 
and all the world may become guilty. We're all guilty. You know, we, we've done these things. It says right here, we're no better than they. It says, therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. But by the law, for the law is the knowledge of sin. If it wasn't for the Ten Commandments, if it wasn't for the law, we wouldn't know that we're sinners. We would just be doing these things. It wouldn't have ever occurred to us. Um, I remember uh, Chuck Smith told the story about uh, um, this staying on a beach some in a hotel, second or third floor up, I guess. And um, right in the balcony, science says, no fishing. And until he saw it, it never occurred to him. But then he saw the sign and goes, I can fish from here. You know, it's one of those things you never know until you see the, 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 and the law came and it brought out of us that sin and made it plain to us. But in verse 21, but now the righteousness of God, this is what David was talking about, apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ, to all and on all who believe there is no difference. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And if you don't know that now, then I don't know. You have to know it. Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness, because in his forbearance God had passed over the sins that were previously committed to determine at the present time his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of the one whose faith, who has put his faith in Jesus. So where then is the boasting? Which one of us is going to raise our hand and say, yep, I did it all myself. It is excluded by, the, by what law of works? No, because we can't do it. But by the law of faith. Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. And so, reading there, where do you see your righteousness from? I mean, we've all sinned and fall short. We're not righteous. Where are we finding our righteousness? Going back to um, Psalm 4, verse 2, he goes on to say, How long, O you sons of men, will you turn my glory to shame? How long will you love worthlessness and seek falsehood? You know, this may be referring to Absalom when he took, you know, David's house, took his throne. Um, but what it, uh, what it is, um, what is it that David glories in? David glories in the Lord is what we learn from this. Um, in, in Psalm 3, he says, you know, you are my glory. But you, O Lord, are a shield for me and my glory and the one who lifts up my head. He glories in God, and, and here they are turning that to shame. They're turning that to worthlessness. They're seeking falsehood. Here's, here's the Lord that's trusting, and, uh, or the, the David who's trusting the Lord. And for, for uh, these guys to then say, well, we're bringing shame, you know, this smacks really of slander. It's not even true what they're saying about David. And so this is really what... Uh, Shimei was saying, you know, you, you were the one that brought this on the house of Saul. It's really slander. It's really gossip. And for that, we go to James 4. If you'd turn there. James 4, verses 11 and 12. Do not speak evil of one another, brethren. He who speaks evil of a brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law, judges the law. 
But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who are you to judge another? The Lord's the lawgiver. How does this apply to David? We go to Psalm 51. This may bother us a little bit because we like to see justice done. People get hurt. People hurt us. It's uh, something people get hurt. People would like to see justice for what happens to them. Psalm 51, 1 through 10. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness. According to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgression. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. This had to do Psalm 51. It says, because when Nathan came to him after he had gone into Bathsheba, it says, for I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. Read that again. Against you and you alone, have I sinned? And done this in your sight? That you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part you will make known wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me hear joy and gladness, that the bones you have broken may rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Well, what about Bathsheba? What about um, Ahithophel? What about Uriah? Well, what did it say in James? And, And what does it say that in Psalm 51? It says, against you and you alone have I sinned. It's the Lord who wrote the Ten Commandments. It's the Lord who wrote the law. It's the Lord who handed that down. Bathsheba didn't write, do not commit adultery. She, you think she's the victim, but it's the sin against the Lord. That is what he's talking about. You know, did, did uh, David repented? You know, God did judge. You know, he lost that child uh, she was pregnant with. And... Um, the sword never left his house. Here we are running from Absalom. He lost authority in his own household, so he thought. He's getting chased across the Jordan River. You know, Nathan came, and God did hand down justice on, on uh, David. God judges, and there is justice. But David sinned, and he sinned against God alone, it says in the Scriptures. Now, certainly, we don't allow... You know, if, if we have anything we can do to stop anything, we're not going to stand by idly. You know, if you're going to hurt Mary, well, you're going to have to answer to me. You know, and you also have to answer to God because he loves her too, you know. And so I think uh, we need to know, uh, what about your sin, all your sin? Are we uh, expecting everybody else to come take out what you did? There's some people that could probably come to you looking for justice. If not, God bless you for that, but... Um, it is something where we need to know that, that we have received from the Lord grace, mercy, forgiveness. Well, where did that judgment get taken out for you and me? What happened on the cross? Right? He poured out all of his 
wrath upon Jesus on the cross. He judged sin like we read earlier. So even Shimei, as we read earlier in Romans, you know, we've been justified freely by the redemption that is Christ Jesus. Anyone can call on God in repentance. If you want to turn back to 2 Samuel 19, um, verses 15 through 23, even Shimei, this guy that was throwing stones and kicking up dust and making all these accusations, here's David returning back to Jerusalem in uh, 2 Samuel uh, 19, 15 through 23. It says, Then the king returned and came to the Jordan. And Judah came to Gilgal to go to meet the king, to escort the king across Jordan. And Shimei, the son of Gera, a Benjamite who was from Baharim, hurried and came down with the men of Judah to meet King David. And there was a thousand men of Benjamin with him, and Ziba, and the servant of the house of Saul, and his fifteen sons and twenty servants with him. And they went over the Jordan before the king, and a ferry boat went across to carry over the king's household to do what he thought good. Now Shimei the son of Gera fell down before the king when he had crossed the Jordan, and he said to the king, Do not let the Lord do not let my Lord impute iniquity to me, or remember what wrong your servant did on the day that my Lord the king left Jerusalem, that the king should take it to heart, for I, your servant, know that I have sinned. Therefore here I am, the first to come today of all the house of Joseph, to go down to meet the Lord the king. But Abishai, the son of Zariah, answered and said, Shall not Shimei be put to death for this, because he cursed the Lord's anointed? And here's David, he says, What have I to do with you, sons of Zariah, that you should be adversaries to me today? Shall any man be put to death today in all Israel? For do I not know that today I am king over Israel? Therefore the king said to Shimei, You shall not die. And the king swore it to him. Here's a, you can see it in David. Those even in Israel. He loved Israel. He loved the Lord. He loved Jerusalem. He loved Zion. Um, And even though it was his own um, Israelite brethren that were cursing him, that were rebelling against him, and he he wept over Absalom. You know, he he had no joy in seeing King Saul um, when King Saul died and his son Jonathan. David loved the Lord and he loved the Lord's land and the Lord's people, Israel, and his fellow believers. Um, so anyone can come to repentance, even Shimei. And uh, he, the Lord uh, blessed him. David allowed him to live, forgave him. Psalm 4, verse 3. But know that the Lord has set apart for himself him who is godly. And the Lord will hear when I call to him. Now we we can know that we're set apart and we know that he will hear us when we call to him and we've seen it and David is writing this and psalm and this song to clarify that and being falsely accused in verse verses uh, four and five be angry and do not sin meditate within your heart on your bed and be still Selah and offer the sacrifices of righteousness and put your trust in the Lord you know being falsely accused and slandered is and gossiped about can make you angry. I mean, you're being misrepresented. You you may be intending this, and there are those that are saying, "Nah, he's not. That's not what he's." In fact, even the Lord, 
it's something that I'll say to people often. You know, I'm trying to share with them. I said, you have kids or grandkids? How much more you would give them food if they asked for food? How much more that uh, if they asked for, for bread, you would, would you give them a stone? Would you give them a snake? Well, no. Well, how much more, God, wouldn't he make sure that you have the truth? But the verse is, how much more would he give of, your, of his Holy Spirit? And that's all we have to do is ask, right? That's what the lesson is there. But I'll tell them, I'll say, how do you know the Bible is true? Well, I don't count on any of the documents or any of the translations or any of the scholars. I trust, I trust the fact that it's God's nature that he's going to, because he loves, see to it that we have his word. And so I, I'm not concerned about all the, the archaeology necessarily. It, it testifies, it bears witness, uh, Dead Sea Scrolls and so forth. So, but it can make us angry when we're falsely accused and uh, misrepresented. Don't let anybody misrepresent God in front of you. You can correct them because you know his word. But it is God who we stand before. and It is him who we can offer righteous sacrifices to. Um, reading uh, the same passage about uh, not um, being angry and sinning not, Paul writes in Ephesians, um, 4, verse 25, 26. I can just read it for you. Therefore, put away all lying. Let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are all members of one another. That same kind of heart that David had for his fellow Israelites. And Be angry. Do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. And that's just plain smart because it'll chew on you all night long and it'll probably be there chewing on you in the morning when you get up. And just then you got to start a whole new day like that. That's just plain wisdom. But we walk before him and we serve him. We talked earlier about we're sinners. We, we fall short. None of us do the right thing. Is that an excuse? Should we sin all the more then so that grace abounds? If you want to turn to Colossians 1, um, 9 through 14. We walk before him and we serve him. Because we've been justified by him, now we can walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. And Paul prayed this prayer for the Colossians because he knew of their faith and he knew that there was love. They had love for all the saints. And in verse 9 through 14, it says, For this day we also, since the day we heard of it, we do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will, in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Why? So that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power, for all patience, all long suffering with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. And he has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us to the dominion, uh, to the kingdom of his son and the, of the son of his love, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Now it's interesting just to look at uh, verse 13 there. It says he's delivered us from the power of darkness. It also can be read from the, the dominion of darkness. Well, what is a dominion? Well, that's where somebody dominates. Um, you were in that domain. You were not dominating. It was dominating you. Say, that's Satan's domain. 
And that's the, what takes place in a domain is you get dominated. And what takes place in a kingdom is you serve. You have a king. Well, we have a beloved king. We have a benevolent king. We have the king who laid down his life and made us righteous. And so how much more that we would just simply serve him and all these things. You know, we are no longer under that domain. We no longer have to sin. Yes, we are all sinners and fall short. That's no excuse not to walk in the power that he clearly uh, has given us. And so Paul prays for them that they be able to walk in that. So let's finish up in Psalm 4, verses 6 through 8. So again, there are many who say, who will show us any good? The Lord lift up the light of your countenance upon us. There's those right there among them, and some among us often, and some even within ourselves that we tend to, to think, you know, we're beyond help. You know, there's, who's going to show us any good? Maybe we're not feeling what we need to feel from the Lord or what we think we need to feel. Maybe we just need to trust his word. But... Uh, there's many who are going to be willing to say it. There's always those that are waiting for Christians to fail, and they're going to be right there saying, who's going to help you? You know, there is no God. You can think of all the examples in the media, you know. But um, it says that, uh, you know, God is there to restore us and lift us up. And not only that, to put gladness in our hearts. More than in the season that their grain and wine increased, and it means a lot more than it does nowadays because all our lives we've been going to the grocery store and we just grab a box of what we want to eat. Well, back then, it was important that they kept track of what they had to do. They had to save, they had to ration, they had to do things because you have your seasons when you can reap and then you need to, whether it's can it or, or uh, you know, store it or, or bake it just so you can preserve it. And it's important. There's great gladness. You know, next time you go to a festival, you go in there and be glad. There's great gladness for these guys because there's, there's grain and there's wine. And it's increased. And just like that gladness, the Lord puts that gladness in his heart. And he's being chased down. This is still while he's being chased down by Absalom. And there's tens of thousands that are right there ready to, to go for him. But he says, I will both lie down in peace and sleep. For you alone, again, the Lord alone, make me dwell in safety. He's got all his mighty men on the left and on the right. But who is it that he trusts in for his safety? If you want to just go to Psalm 92, 1 through 4, and we'll close up. Psalm 92, verse 1. It is good to give thanks to the Lord and to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare your loving kindness in the morning, your faithfulness every night. Not a string, instrument of ten strings on the lute and on the harp with harmonious sound. For you, Lord, have made me glad through your work. I will triumph in the works of your hands. His loving kindness in the morning and his faithfulness at night. Amen. Psalm 3 and 4. Let's stand and pray. Thank you, Lord, that uh, as we just go through your word, you continue to encourage us. I do pray that uh, your word would stay in our hearts, that we would be encouraged. And Lord, we know we're not perfect, but we know that we have your righteousness and your light shines on us and we can stand in your grace. We're so grateful that you've called us and saved us. And Lord, I pray that you would continue to um, 
plant your word in our hearts, it would continue to bear fruit. And we would continue to be thankful to you for all that you've done. We just ask everything in Jesus' name. Amen. Of darkness. Well, what is a dominion? Well, that's where somebody dominates. Um, you were in that domain. You were not dominating. It was dominating you. Say, that's Satan's domain. And that's the, what takes place in a domain is you get dominated. And what takes place in a kingdom is you serve. You have a king. Well, we have a beloved king. We have a benevolent king. We have the king who laid down his life and made us righteous. And so how the much more that we would just simply serve him and all these things. You know, we are no longer under that domain. We no longer have to sin. Yes, we are all sinners and fall short. That's no excuse not to walk in the power that he clearly uh, has given us. And so Paul prays for them that they be able to walk in that. So let's finish up in Psalm 4, verses 6 through 8. So again, there are many who say, Who will show us any good? The Lord lift up the light of your countenance upon us. There's those right there among them and some among us often, and some even within ourselves that we tend to, to think, you know, we're beyond help. You know, there's, who's going to show us any good? Maybe we're not feeling what we need to feel from the Lord or what we think we need to feel. Maybe we just need to trust his word. But uh, there's many who are going to be willing to say it. There's always those that are waiting for Christians to fail, and they're going to be right there saying, who's going to help you? You know, there is no God. You can think of all the examples in the media, you know. But um, it says that, uh, you know, God is there to restore us and lift us up. And not only that, to put gladness in our hearts. More than in the season that their grain and wine increased. And it means a lot more than it does nowadays because all our lives we've been going to the grocery store and we just grab a box of what we want to eat. Well, back then, it was important that they kept track of what they had to do. They had to save, they had to ration, they had to do things because you have your seasons when you can reap and then you need to, whether it's can it or, or uh, you know, store it or, or bake it just so you can preserve it. And it's important. There's great gladness. You know, next time you go to festival, you go in there and be glad. There's great gladness for these guys because there's, there's grain and there's wine and it's increased. And just like that gladness, the Lord puts that gladness in his heart and he's being chased down. This is still while he's being chased down by Absalom and there's tens of thousands that are right there ready to, to go for him. But he says, I will both lie down in peace and sleep for you alone, again, the Lord alone, make me dwell in safety. He's got all his mighty men on the left and on the right, but who is it that he trusts in for his safety? If you want to just go to Psalm 92, one through four, and we'll close up. Psalm 92, verse one. It is good to give thanks to the Lord and to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare your loving kindness in the morning, your faithfulness every night. Not a string, instrument of ten strings on the lute and on the harp with harmonious sound. For you, Lord, have made me glad through your work. I will triumph in the works of your hands. His loving kindness in the morning and his faithfulness at night. Amen. Psalm 3 and 4. Let's stand and pray.
Thank you, Lord, that uh, as we just go through your word, you continue to encourage us. I do pray that uh, your word would stay in our hearts, that we would be encouraged. And Lord, we know we're not perfect, but we know that we have your righteousness and your light shines on us and we can stand in your grace. We're so grateful that you've called us and saved us. And Lord, I pray that you would continue to um, plant your word in our hearts. It would continue to bear fruit. And we continue to be thankful to you for all that you've done. We just ask everything in Jesus' name. Amen.